0: Hi, I'm Stephanie Sellers. I'm a filmmaker, writer, and performer here to talk about my new movie, Lust, Life, Love. And you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation.
1: Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of
2: Progressive Conversation. Hi, and I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to episode 117. And today, our featured interview is
1: with writer, filmmaker, actor, and singer, Stephanie Sellers. We talk about her film, Lust, Life, Love, which premiered last year at the Berlin Independent Film Festival. Lust, Life, Love is a star-crossed love story set in the world of polyamory and sex parties in New York City. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward (laughs) to sharing that conversation with you.
2: And before that, we are entering the Geekscape, and we are going to talk about a Futurama episode called A Taste of Freedom because that plays into our theme for this year. That's <laughs> that right. <is>. I love <laughs> when my geekiness and our themes match. So, <laughs> so uh, what's been happening with you since our last show? Uh wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have been re-fascinated
1: with a musician who I love and I've been feeling super creative and wanting to play guitar all the time and stuff which is a great kind of it feels um it feels like my c- creative self and my passion for music waking up which is a great feeling Ooh, awesome let's see well i've been helping out with uh, dog sitting for uh, <laughs> someone who is uh not at home for the moment <laughs> someone is <who's> in the, <laughs> the hospital and i'm uh, been taking care of a, a dog which is fun and
2: Um, is the dog actually staying with you or are you just going to the other person's house
1: just going and visiting and checking in and giving him his medications and his snacks and his things okay yeah it's uh but but you know i I keep i have to keep a close eye on him (laughs) and um (laughs) uh what else uh so that's going on i had some guests this weekend which was nice to see some friends who i hadn't seen in a while so it's been uh, it's
2: been busy and kind of
1: a bit taxing because it's like I just have a lot of things happening, but
2: yeah, it's okay. Yeah, a lot yeah. of plates, a lot of plates spinning. So yes, yes, <laughs> and I think honestly, I think our reawakening to our creative stuff. I mean, I, I i have been like just painting and painting and painting i've i've done three canvases with acrylics and i i got these like fluorescent paints and i made like these black light paintings that look really and we have like this gigantic black light that rich dug out of the basement and set it up so i could look at them in the black light and they look really cool Creepy um man <laughs> oh it's totally totally psychedelic uh, nice <laughs> and um and I think I think part of it has to do with you know we had Imbolc last week, and uh, that's uh, Groundhog Day to those of not you non pagans, um, <laughs> and and it's we're halfway through winter because in another six weeks or six weeks from Imbolc is uh, the Spring Equinox, and it's also when I start to realize that the days are getting longer because it's noticeable. And -hmm. and I think, I think that's part of it. I, I didn't do my, my garden planning again last weekend, which I kind of plan, I wanted to, but I I think it's like, I need to corral some other family members to see like, if there's a particular thing that they want me to grow for them this year. But I'm like really looking forward to getting that done this week. And, uh, and maybe, and maybe figuring out that, oh shit, I need to start seeds. So, right. (laughs) So that's happening. But yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of an art explosion. So, I'm kind of happy about that.
1: That is cool. I wonder if part of it is seasonal because we're both kind of having that that uh, reawakening thing. Yeah, and but I it's also, love, I appreciate the, night, the 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 day's getting a little longer too. It's nice to feel that. I do that. too. I, I
2: yeah. think it's also I think you got to add, you know, almost 2 years of of COVID isolation into the mix. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. I think that plays into this feelings as well. And yes, I want to go into New York City to see my nephew, Peter Gill Sheridan's play, The Space Between Us, um, which is produced by the Keen Company. And it's going to be off Broadway and it's coming up really soon. The performances will begin Tuesday, February 22nd and continue through April 2nd. Opening night is set for Wednesday, March 9th at the Theater Row, 410 West 42nd Street between 9th and Dyer Avenues. So uh, I will probably be plugging this in every podcast between now and and when it's done. Um, And I will, once I go see it, I will tell everyone how fabulous it is. That's personal family news. So
1: so thank you so much for listening and you can catch a new episode of the Leftscape every other wednesday and subscribe to our show on our website leftscape.com or wherever you get your podcasts so make sure you sign up for our automatic downloads so you don't miss a show and um we can see that we are growing and we always we've been mentioning this lately and it does really feel great that our people are listening more and we always appreciate that and we've gotten some uh Nice reviews too recently. So thank you. And let's keep
2: that going. Indeed. Indeed. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And when you're over on our website to check out our great show notes, please sign up for our monthly ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. And if you want to love us just a little bit more, please leave us a review. We can use some Google reviews. So if you dig the show, please let us know, let folks know. Google us and look for the link and leave us a stellar review. (laughs) Thank you. And please do join us over on Patreon for
1: our extra content. You're becoming a patron helps us make the show better all the time. We really do appreciate that too. So join us at any level. You can start out on the front row seats tier at just $1 a month, and you'll have the opportunity to get patron-only content. Uh, We have Hangouts. We've got chats. We have a segment called We Should Be Recording This. And we should be recording the new, we should be recording this soon, I believe. <laughs> so we'll get on that and we'll get it to you for sure. And yeah, so that's
2: that's that. So thank you. And we do have a rewind. When I was uh, editing episode 116, I realized uh, that in the blanket fort, Robin and I were basically reinventing the observant Jewish practice of don't work on the Sabbath. <laughs> Um, but without the restrictions such as not flipping on a light switch or cooking.
1: Right. Yeah. it is a, it, <laughs> There's a reason that we come up with those things of like taking time away, right? And, and well, these a, sort of traditions of, yeah, go ahead.
2: I mean, there's probably a reason why it's part of the religion in the first place. Right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny how you have to like, Sometimes you have to figure out all these things yourself, and then go. Oh wait, someone figured that out a very long time ago. <laughs> that kind of happened to me with Buddhism. Somewhere <laughs> in the '90s, I was I was just having all these figuring out like how I wanted to. Do I wanted to get? Do I want to gather with people in in a spiritual context, or do I? You know how? What do I? What do I want? And where am I like spiritually? I guess. And I was writing in my journal and coming up with all these things, and then one day I went. Oh wait. I think this is just Buddhism. I think I just invented Buddhism. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Oh, and I did have a quick rewind also. We we talked about Greg Schroeder's question, if, if there were no dietary consequences, what food would you eat for the rest of your life? And I think um, bubble tea and beer maybe should have been on that list for me. <laughs> Because I really love both of those things. But since it's, we're talking about magic food anyway, like it would only have the effect they have maybe every third or fourth time. Because I don't really <laughs> want to be drunk every day and I don't want to be caffeined every day. But I love the taste of those things. So like once okay. in a while, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, so if only. <laughs> anyway.
2: All right. So let's get on to our three random facts in the news now. <laughs> yes. Yes so my random fact i've got to find it so
1: there's a thing called dream cheese apparently and this is thanks to my friend bob bruin who i saw a post from this about up from him about so authentic english blue stilton cheese uh, is an ancient variety produced since the mid 1700s and it has a very interesting side effect so this the specific strain of penicillium mold that gives its distinctive flavor and color is mildly psychoactive for about 70% of people. Huh. And so some people, they say eating about 50 grams of two ounces or so um, 30, like 30 minutes before bedtime can produce dri- vivid, colorful or very strange dreams. So hmm. some people try to do this as a practice and have some dream cheese and see what, uh, <laughs> see what comes out of it. So I thought that was,
2: Interesting. <laughs> I, I have a question. I mean, can you actually get that specific cheese in the United States?
1: That would be a good
2: question. I don't know. Because huh. they, they don't, it, there's like so much they're not allowed to import in t- from Europe because of um, the way the cheese is made. Right. Because they don't, it doesn't go through pasteurization not or something like that, stuff. even mm-hmm. though it's fine. And, and, and I'll tell you, when I was in Europe and, and in England and I was at I guess the borough market in London and there was, you know, the cheese vendor and they had cheeses like from all over like England, France, everywhere. And it was all so much more variety of cheese than we are allowed to get here. And it pisses me off. (laughs) Hmm. That's our new cause.
1: More cheese, more More cheese. cheese. (laughs) We want more cheese.
2: Well, here's my fact for this t- this show. Uh, the eyes of a frog are made and positioned in such a way that at any given moment, they can see everything around them, including what is behind them. So they have a 360 degree visual field, which is kind of amazing. And and as if this did not make them difficult enough to sneak up on, frogs also sleep with both of their eyes open. That I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that either. That's creepy. <laughs>
1: nice (laughs) well I won't expect to sneak up on a frog anytime soon (laughs) and uh, the third fact on this day February 9th in 1964 73 million people tuned into the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles first live performance in the US
2: and I think I may have been one of them I don't really remember Um, oh well (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, I do remember you know, making my mom buy me a Beatles record when I was like five. so and and I also remember to me, the stacks were above my head. So as I grew up, my my memory of it is like they were at least six foot stacks of records, but they were probably only three three or four foot stacks because <laughs> I was like a little child, right, right? <laughs> I just That's remember they were cool. towering over my head, <laughs> nice. So, are we up to handling the news? i kind, kind of, sort of. <laughs> okay.
1: So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is the the rise of calls for censorship in schools. You know, there's a lot of Black history that people are wanting to ban essentially, like certain books that talk about you know, all kinds of, you know, the s- slavery and civil rights and not speaking about the founding fathers who were slave owners and things things like that. And I know it's like this growing issue. And I didn't, I wasn't able to find like a particular article that talked about it, like an all-encompassing article that really discussed it. And I was frustrated like looking for that because I've been listening to it on podcasts. And, you know, the the, the censorship of mouse that's happening is another one that like, it's like, a, it's a real trend, you know for all types of history and things that might make white students uncomfortable like that there actually is a a bill somewhere and i can, I wish i knew which state it was that said something like you can't teach anything that would make any student uncomfortable or guilty or feeling really basically feeling
2: upset yeah. wow if that if, the, if basically <laughs> feeling upset then they couldn't teach long division
1: <laughs> right but they say based on your race or your I, you know yeah i
2: know but i mean but that's come on. funny I, and this is yeah <laughs> these are the I, are these the same people who also object to safe spaces in college and and college campuses and stuff like and trigger warnings that's kind of what i was thinking you I was know like, this is, it's this like, is a the super
1: snowflake bill you know like <laughs> i can't I mean, you know, you you might feel something when you learn information about our history or our current times. You know, and for
2: sure. Honestly, oh, you, uh, should. you should. You should feel s- something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing is is also making the connection. There's been a trend toward disallowing lessons that make the connection between history and now. So to say that Seriously. we have we have systemic racism or or systemic issues. Like you're sort of banning like banning or or making it so difficult for teachers to talk about those things that they just can't or won't. you know, and yeah. I, there's got to be a podcast that I can find that's really definitive that talks a lot about this because it's it is a really disturbing trend. and I want to find ways to mitigate that, like, you know, I mean, I I think a lot of it is really getting involved in your local politics and knowing, like, I tend to, like, I vote all the time, but I tend to not vote for school boards because I don't have a a kid in school and all that, but I think now I should know more, like, who are the people that are involved at that level because it matters to all of our society, really, you know.
2: And it's, honestly, it's a little, it's harder to find, to be, To be uh, what I want to call a lazy activist, basically, you know, instead of instead of going to a physical to be physically present in a candidate's Q&A, if they do that ahead of an election or something like that. And you want to research them online, you know, to be lazy, stay home and research online. uh, You can't there's really it's really hard to find information about like local school board candidates that way that's one of those it, it's hard to to find out who these people are unless you go to one of their rallies or or talks or whatever and ask them the questions like you know what do you what is your stand on censoring history or you teach what is your stand on teaching history you know and that kind of mm-hmm. thing you have to you have to put them to the fire with this and ask mm-hmm. these questions and yeah and then so you can make an informed choice yeah it is a
1: it's an extra step that you know, because I do get a lot of news from online and, and media yeah, that's talking yeah. about things that are a little bit farther afield, you know, Philadelphia or national news and stuff like that. So I think I do want to make a stronger effort to really know more of the local stuff too. Yeah. But uh, but I will look for some links that talk about this really growing, his, you know, problem in the in, in I, I know I, right it, now. It's very strange.
2: And in the mouse case, it seemed to me that there were people in that school district who were basically looking for some reason to, to not teach that book. Mm. And what they wanted to give this to eighth graders. And I, and I don't think they're too young to know about it. And it, mm. and it's a graphic novel. It it's, I've read it. I read it, was it? I guess in 2018, I, I got mm. a car, co- I bought a copy and read it. And it's, it's an excellent graphic novel and shit it won the pulitzer prize you know so they found a couple of places where somebody said i think god damn was one of the curse words and and another one which you know the fcc doesn't even censor these anymore uh, on tv there were two and there's a nude mouse and there's a nude mouse yeah and, and that's like come on It's, they're just, they're just looking for some other reason other than like we, this whole subject makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to teach it. Well, the good thing about that is that it has now sold more copies than ever. It it went back up on the bestseller list because of it. And, and, you know, and it's, the school boards are one thing, but libraries are another. And, and now that my daughter's working at the local library, I i'm a lot more tuned into how wonderful and radical librarians are they're just a great bunch of people (laughs) in general i i i want to give them all like a medal like you're doing good work guys Uh,
1: that would be good well when we when we have our lefties uh awards (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. So uh, one thing I did want to say too, we talked last time about Neil Young removing removing his music from Spotify because of the misinformation that Joe Rogan was putting forth and stuff. And at the time, we talked about it being we were a little skeptical as to how much influence Neil Young would have at this point. (laughs) And I am really glad to say that you know he created a lot of conversation. Uh, A lot of other artists have left Spotify. Both both very famous and 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 indie folks and everything and you know i'm completely hypocritical in this because i have not left Spo- we haven't left spotify no. but it's a, no, I, and i, I don't com- know that that that's i don't know that, that that's the right answer for everybody or or but it's it's cool that some people who have done it have created a conversation around all this and i think that's the main
2: thing i don't mm. know what do you yeah. think I think they need to pay more royalties, but that's a whole other well, yeah. discussion. <laughs> they but they they 100% do. That's that's there like, and, and yeah. I and this this whole Spotify leaving thing got me to go look into my um my TuneCore account to see what rates, you know, and all of the platforms are paying a different rate a different royalty rate and Spotify is one of the lower ones the the streaming service that Jay-Z started whose name escapes me right now pays the most out of the out of the music streaming only sy- server uh systems i think they pay um what was it like s- 0.6 cents per download as opposed to Spotify's uh, i think they're point th- Three six oh three six. Right, is this Title you're talking about? Yeah, I think yes, yes. Title, yes. They pay the most. I mean, actually, the one I the one that's the most most is Amazon Unlimited, but you have to be a subscriber to Amazon Unlimited. They pay one point two cent per stream. Hmm. Nobody else is paying over a penny a stream. None, nobody. But Title is is next after that. Right, right. So, well, if you (laughs) love your musicians, go listen to them over there. That's a good one.
1: Yes. <laughs> but in terms of the, the actual topic that Neil and company were getting at is, is that it's called attention to the fact that Spotify is paying an enormous amount of money to have someone on their, their platform who, you know, isn't, doesn't give accurate facts and, and host people who's, you know, who are, you know, controversial. I mean, he talks to all different people, but he talks to some people who really give Poor information, I guess, and And he doesn't call
2: them on it. He doesn't fact check them, right,
1: right. And he started, but this whole thing has started a conversation of like, what is, is it valid to, is this a valid form of protest? You know, to remove your stuff, is it censorship? What is censorship? What's it? Mm. It started. It started a lot of stuff, and I think that's of benefit. And it did. It did cause an effect. Like Spotify's stock fell significantly uh, after this started. So it's, I guess my point is that even if you don't think you or someone has an ability to have an impact, like you really, it can be surprising. And I thought that was, that was cool, you know, to yeah. so at least make people look at the all the issues involved.
2: Indeed, indeed. And so. I, I, I used to share the Spotify link on social media for my songs and I stopped doing that and I now switched over to a YouTube link. On, okay. on social media because the songs are also on youtube and i get some micro payment some insignificant amount of money every time somebody listens to a video with of those two so yeah i and i never did pay for spotify so i'm not i don't feel like i need to take the app off my phone mm. but i am not sending people there to listen to my stuff anymore I don't even know how to remove my stuff off of there because of I'm using another a third party to distribute my music everywhere, and I don't right. know how to uncheck that box yet, or if unchecking that box is going to take it off of there. So right, right, yeah, it's complicated.
1: I same yeah. with me. It's a third so, party thing. So anyway,
2: yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, that's yeah. true for a lot of small things, small musicians, so right. small. I know we're not small, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Internationally obscure musicians. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, what else is happening? So in the way people are acting outside of the United States, there's this huge protest by truckers in Canada who are protesting um, the vaccine mandates that are in place for border crossings between Canada and the United States, and over the weekend, it kind of they kind of like put Ottawa into gridlock because everybody drove their trucks and just sort of parked them and honked their horns and were be- basically being uh, disagreeable in general and upsetting you know the government people and everything and some of them with confederate flags too right oh god well and yes of course Which is and, like, and yeah like really people what is your deal but a lot of people in the united states are encouraging them and supporting them and 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 y- y- you know it's like the anti-vax movements kind of <laughs> cross the border and it and and it's like you know, why don't interfere in another country's shit, damn it. And, you know, I mean, yeah, our numbers, I mean, I look, I've been looking at the graphs for COVID on not quite a daily basis, but frequently, and we did peak and it's dropping. And I know we went, you know, New Jersey went from the purple, red, (laughs) you know, the highest possible- yeah danger zone back down to red which was critical i don't know the the other one is like basically kiss your ass goodbye i don't know but the the omicron spike was like an order it was like 10 times more five times higher than the spike we had in march of 2020 when it started so right. i mean less people fewer people were hospitalized because you know we have a fairly high vaccination rate but there was there was that couple of week period where it's like everyone you knew was getting sick, was getting COVID and and that, and we're kind of out of that. We're back down to red, but I would like to see us into the orange or even, you know, God forbid the yellow. (laughs) That would be nice. We'll
1: get there. We'll get there. But it's, it's hopefully, uh,
2: unless, unless we have a new mutation, who knows? Right. Yeah. And then uh, in New Zealand, the Maori party, has called for a divorce from the crown and the removal of the British royal family as New Zealand's head of state. The call came on the 182nd anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi or Tichiri o Waitangi, New Zealand's foundational legal document. The treaty originally guaranteed Maori the crown's protection of their land rights But in the 100 years that followed its signing, the Maori lost more than 90% of their land through a mixture of outright confiscation by the crown, private or government sales, and land court practices that did not recognize collective ownership.
1: Oh, no. Wow.
2: So the co-leader of the Maori party, whose name is Debbie Negaruea Packer, said the only way this nation can work is when maori assert their rights to self-management self-determination and self-governance over all our domains so i wish them luck in getting their shit back
1: (laughs) yeah here here
2: yeah i I also you know it's just the fact that they had this treaty and then like that was supposed to protect their stuff and then they lost all of it 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 wasn't just Americans that did this stuff, right? So, yeah. Well, and in <laughs> much
1: less consequential news, uh, last week there was a brawl at the Golden Corral over steak in Benson, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, no one is entirely sure what happened, but it seems that at Golden Corral um, they ran out. They either ran out of steak, or someone was, you know, causing a a problem in the line and a, and asking too many questions and trying to change their <laughs> order or something like that. But it had to do with steak for sure.
2: Okay, <laughs>
1: and somehow this broke out into like a forty some person brawl. Really. There was like, there were like high chairs flying and punches thrown (laughs) and food fights. And it's, 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 it's really hilarious. (laughs) If you weren't there. (laughs) If you weren't there. Exactly. You know, and they, and they had it on the news and everyone's just like yelling and screaming and it's like, beep, beep, all are beeping out of the curses and... Um so I said to my friend and I said can we can we give away 40 ass hat awards this week? <laughs> Cause yes. We usually choose you know one one lucky winner for as the the, the recipient of the ass hat award, award <laughs> of the week but this one I don't know we might need to give a few more. <laughs> but anyway it's really silly and uh oh there will be nope. a, an article and a video so <laughs> on our I'm new sorry on our notes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I usually those kind of fights only break out in movies, so it's
1: that's what's so funny about it. But it's it's near Philly and Philly kind of has a reputation
2: like this. So. That's true. That's true. I was I was in Philly li- while I was living in Cherry Hill when the first time like the Eagles or the Phillies won the World Series or something. Oh, that And would the be riots crazy. that happened because <laughs> they won. <laughs> I, I
1: have to say, you know, some people riot about you know, systemic <laughs> discrimination and getting shot at and things like that. And other and people, people
2: riot, riot over win. sports
1: and steak. So,
2: yes, mm. yes.
1: <laughs> That's all I need to say.
2: Uh, and our last news item is um, when the Swedish athletes are complaining about the cold, you know you have a problem.
0: That's Seriously. my headline.
2: <laughs> The Olympics, uh, the athletes at the Chinese Olympics are busy complaining about the extreme cold and the lack of hot meals in the Olympic village and, and, uh, athletes are being isolated. Uh, there's somebody, I mean, there was somebody that was accusing the Olympic committee of isolating, um, somebody on, I think a hockey team or something, uh, because they suspected even when they didn't have COVID, but it was like, they're complaining that they're just trying to keep this player off the ice or something like that so there's all kinds of uh shenanigans happening with the winter olympics right now weird and uh it's it's very sad that like targeted
1: it, like, isolation for people that they don't yeah it was I, like or
2: something i something like that and they're using they're using covid as an excuse at least that's what that's what this other team member was claiming in the news article. So whether it's true or not is I don't know. I mean, it was in the Guardian, so one would hope they fact checked some of it. But if somebody's making an accusation, it's you know it's an accusation. So they, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. But the the one Swedish skier was complaining that that their catering was only giving them you know bags of chips and chocolate and no nothing hot, no hot food. So
1: That's bizarre. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll try to catch up on. I have not watched any Olympics yet, but
2: I'll I have not either. What, uh, I haven't yeah. watched any of it either. And I, I remember when I was much younger, I used to be really into it. I mean, more the summer Olympics than the winter ones. Although I did used to watch the uh, ice dancing mm-hmm. and the ice skating stuff. Um, that's true. I was. I was in my twenties and thirties. I was m- in my teens. I was much more into the Olympics than I am now. Uh, Well, that's all the news I can handle. (laughs) That's all the news we're handling, yes.
0: (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Lily's Stick of the Month Club. You have a dog. Your dog is the best dog, right? And you only want the best for them. Well, our best dog, Lily, is curating a special subscription box just for your best dog. Join Lily's Stick of the Month Club. Your dog will receive a specially selected stick pre-chewed by Lily herself. All Lily's sticks are dropped by the finest trees growing in our New Jersey backyard during the summer thunderstorms that happen almost daily. Each stick is guaranteed to be a real stick from a real tree, selected by a real dog and put into a real box and sent to your real address. Join Lily's Stick of the Month Club at stickofthemonth.com today. And now back to our podcast.
2: Fascinating. 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 Are you on your fucking mind? Fascinating. Welcome to the Geekscape where. <laughs> where we geek out and today it's my turn to geek out about futurama uh which is a cartoon series that aired in uh the turn of the century the first episode might have actually aired in 1999 it's the premise of futurama if you haven't seen it and if you haven't seen it i really kind of have to look at you sideways and say why not um (laughs) it it's a it's the premise is philip fry cryogenically freezes himself by accident for a thousand years and wakes up in the year 3000 where things are weird (laughs) (laughs) very very well explained i like it yes (laughs) and uh this episode a taste of freedom and the reason that's why that's why we're talking about it now because when robin last season said next season let's let's have the topic of freedom the first thing that went through my head was that was the freedom song um,
1: and it's and really I- hard to not start singing it immediately when you already mention it but we'll leave it for the we'll yes leave it for the recording yeah. we'll
2: leave it for now <laughs> the lyrics are very minimal <laughs> yes <laughs> Wasn't there an International Freedom Day like within the last ten days? I, I kind of think that happened. Maybe I, I like a, I'll i I'll have know. to look that up <laughs> um, and
1: and honor it after the fact if that's that that's true.
2: So yeah. so the premise of this is it's Freedom Day and everybody's allowed to do pretty much whatever they want. So Zoidberg decides to eat the Earthican flag. And that caused a whole bunch of people to, it caused controversy and, and they arrested him. Yes. (laughs) And it was, it's just such, it's such a
1: well-crafted episode. I mean, I love it. I remember seeing it like when you, when you assigned it to me to watch and I was like, oh yeah, I remember (laughs) this, you know, and like the sort of the reveal of what the holiday is like and, you know, you know. (laughs) People being like, "Well, what's Freedom Day? Why is this? A, you know, that sort of thing." And the like, nude hot tubbing is like a thing. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I'm there." You know, <laughs> and that was funny. If Fry was just like, "Hey, is, I like this," you know, <laughs> um, so that was funny. And and but also like ridiculous cruelty. And it's like people really just do whatever. Yeah, funny. You know. And what was the um? God, it was something like well. Zoidberg is talking about how you have to. It's not. It's not like. Well, basically, the idea is like you can do whatever you want on Earth because like nobody cares. So it's like <laughs> this weird sort of <laughs> like insult, comp, backhanded compliment or something. <laughs> yes. About Earth, and then the Zoidberg planet is very. Well, it's all really sort of ethnic humor, like Jewish humor, sort of. Kinda. Thing. I mean, they, you, all of they all
2: sound they all sound very Yiddish. You know? Yeah. All of yeah. all of the decapodians or decapodians. Right. Uh, right, right. His planet is decapod eight, and there you go. Um, and he eventually, as they are trying to arrest him, he eventually makes his way to the decapod embassy, which nice. is kind of this big sand castle in the middle of a moat, and he gets over there and then things kind of escalate <laughs> yeah okay did the did they have the trial first or after I, this is the <laughs> i don't remember now because i watched this like a week ago <laughs> it's like the the order of things is escaping me um but the scene for the trial really i had i had a lot of mixed feelings because you know you see ruth bader ginsburg's head in a jar you know yes. she's still off Court, and I got a little sad. And actually, there was a bunch of judges who are no longer with us in, in that scene now. Um, right. and that's I, what I was thinking. Like there's also Snoop Dogg. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's he's, a, he's and he's actually been he he was the I think he was the chief justice in another episode. Um wow. but this time there was a, a woman whose head was not in a jar who was the chief justice and the Supreme court is they all plug into each other's heads that all spin around while they're deliberating to come up with a, a a ruling. Right. Right. And the hyper chicken was, was the prosecuting attorney and the eldest waterfall in the family, I think was his, was Zoidberg's lawyer. And Zoidberg's Zoidberg's lawyer was a veteran of every war that happened during his lifetime and in every war another body part got replaced with some prosthetic so <laughs> and he see, these tell- are things that i
1: didn't i didn't remember because I, like, I was going to say this episode is so full of gags and imagery and references that yeah like i want to watch it again and see more things like one thing uh, i saw there was a screen that passed that you see washington dc and then it says renamed after Washington the the Sweat Hog in like
2: some <laughs> yes. some year, yes. you know. And I was like, wait a minute, what was that? And I went back to see it
1: again. And, <laughs> and then there like, were those. Funny.
2: There were two monoliths. One was much bigger than they were. Two mo- Washington Monument looking monuments next to each other, and one was like twice the size. And that one was the Clinton Monument. And <laughs> right. that was pretty funny. And um, I, I think I think it came down um, that the Decapodians decided to attack Earth because the Earthicans, when Zoidberg
0: took asylum there, they were they attacked the embassy.
2: They came down, they enslaved the entire earth population and made them build. It's a very funny thing. um, The oppression palace. Yes. Which was a big castle on crab legs with pinchers that would go around attacking <laughs> people. and eventually, everybody eventually peace everything got settled. everybody the Tekapadians stopped enslaving people and and Zoidberg was invited to eat a flag at the end. and i'm I spoiled the episode that's been out for over twenty years, so I think I'm Okay doing that. it's
1: okay. Yeah. Totally <laughs> watch. totally watch it. It's just it's really funny. And um God, I don't know. What were my I just had a lot of thoughts about things, but it's like I, I think I just have to sit and look at it again and go, wait, what about this and that gag? But the Clinton gag and the what the renaming of Washington or rededication <laughs> of Washington with a different intent was funny. Um <laughs> the humor. Around Zoitberg's family, like no matter he he was he, he was getting guilted no matter what he wanted to do. Like then he was, he was describing what freedom was like on his country and his uh-huh. on his planet rather, and it was just like, sure you can be a comedian if you if you're not going to be a doctor. That it was like <laughs> sure you can be a doctor if you're going to give up your dream of being a comedian. You know, <laughs> like, so like yeah, you had freedom but you had to suffer for it. Basically, he was saying you know. Yes, And I was just like, oh my God, it was, it it was.
2: Yes. That's very Jewish.
1: (laughs) Right. That's what I was, it was sort of like, it was, so I guess I had a question like that is, it's, it's hilarious to me. And it's also like stereotypical humor. And like, I guess, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. And then I was like, should I laugh or should I not laugh? You're allowed to laugh.
2: We laugh at that. I mean, (sighs) I, I would say, well, it's like David, the joke.
1: it's more of an in joke than a looking at someone from the outside joke. That's what I yeah, thought
2: it's kind it of like that, yes, and yeah. and I don't know i I'm guessing you know, maybe they're supposed to be Jewish, but i they're not really. It's just the their sound, and I think it was just the voices that they're using that that I don't know it, right That kind it, of lift it's the, the yiddish American accent kind of thing right. and and uh. Yeah. I never felt, you know, creeped out about it. Not like, you know, like, not like the Ferengi in Star Trek. So, oh, yeah. You know, and I think part of it is because, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Matt Groening is Jewish, but I know David Cohen, who's the other producer, is definitely Jewish. And there were probably, I have no idea how many Jews were in the writing room, but there was probably more than one.
1: Yeah, Just yeah. add a guess. Yeah. No, so, it definitely feels like, it doesn't feel like uncomfortable humor to me. It feels like very, like, well-crafted and funny, yes. you know, and it was yes. yeah the whole thing. And and I like that sort of irreverence, like the whole show has irreverence for all kinds of various things and, and just busting on. Yeah. It's just, it's very cool. So, um, how many seasons did
2: Futurama have? <sighs> it technically 10 but 3 of them were the movies that got made after it got canceled the third time okay <laughs> this is the show this is the show that would get canceled and then it would get back on like many many times and then they they produced 3 direct to dvd movies that when comedy central picked up the series after fox dropped them Mm -hmm. they turned those three movies into season into at least one season maybe two and and they added a little bit of things watching the the movies is not quite the same as watching all of the episodes that made the movies up and uh, they may have added things or taken things out or rearranged scenes to make it more cohesive because when they were making the movies they weren't they weren't thinking of episodes right I mean, no but they all kind of chained together because at the end of one of the movies they you know just something happened that caused the next whatever happened in the next movie to happen like uh at the end of bender's big score mm-hmm. i think that's the one where he goes back in time just where the where the these are the some aliens that that a lot of people they're their least favorite aliens the the ones that like to steal information I and see. the nude the, they were naked they're the nude nude nudies or new to new to something <laughs> <laughs> okay they were basically naked aliens and oh and this is when when fry had bender's tattoo on his ass with a time code that if Bender said if Bender read the time code, it made a bubble where you could go back in time and fuck around with things, and that's that's the time travel episode where a whole where it, where if you listen to the commentaries, they really they had to work out all of this crazy shit that happened, where everything's happening in the in the cryo lab on December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine there's like four different versions of Fry and four different versions of Bender all like within minutes of each other. And they're all doing different things. And, and <laughs> Interesting. So what is, all right. So can you say the main characters of Futurama? So sure. The, Fry the, the ensemble is cast is right. Fry. Fry is the, the time traveling guy. His great, 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 great nephew, Professor Farnsworth, who's like, you know, 120 years old. And uh, he's his descendant. His closest- See, I didn't know that. That's funny. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Connected. Professor okay. Farnsworth is is uh, is his descendant. Oh and, okay. And um, and then there's Bender the robot, and Leela the alien, who's actually a mutant, but we don't know that for the first four seasons, I think, or three seasons, and. His and professor's uh, graduate student uh, Amy Wong, um, who <laughs> and the and Doctor Zoidberg, who's you know a decapodian who has like tentacles on his mouth and two crab claws, uh, and and he's a crustacean of some kind. And I think that's the main cast. And and Hermes is is also at Planet Express, but he's not always in every episode. Um. Right. And then there's a lot of other robots and there's a, and there's family members of like Amy's parents and and uh you know lots of other recurring characters uh that are that are not part of I guess the ensemble the
1: main ensemble yeah
2: yeah, yeah. it's a good cre- it's a good uh crew. <laughs> yeah, and Nibbler, oh. and Nibbler. Oh. <laughs> uh, he's a little alien Leela's little alien pet who actually is an intelligent creature that is integral to Fry getting frozen and traveling into the future, which you find out later on. Yes. Cause Fry actually saves the universe like three or four times.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, and he's so. not really well, aware of it. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great show, and I could I would do well to know it even better. But this was a great episode, so I'm glad that you yeah prompted me to watch it again. I
2: mean, yeah. it's I uh, this is I have five cartoons that I like to watch before I go to bed because it's they're good palate cleansers mentally for anything uh, anything disturbing that I might have watched on tv prior to going to bed because i don't want to watch like a murder mystery or something where like people are getting killed or being you know mutilated or basically any images that are nasty that i don't want to take with me to bed i i want to erase them or replace them with a cartoon so futurama is one of them uh disin- I, all of the graining ones i although i don't watch the simpsons just because there's so many and you know, there's like what 800 episodes now, probably. <laughs> I don't know, it's getting to be like Bleach, the, the anime, which, um, but I don't, I, I remember doing when they were doing their 600 episodes and they were rerunning them. I, I watched them all again and I've been keeping up, but but I like Disenchantment and I like uh Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites and Futurama, those four. Those are the four I watch before I go to bed, one of them. I'll go one through the series. Some of these series only have like 20 episodes, so I go through those real fast. So
1: yes.
2: so anyway, so those are my recommendations. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy.
0: Hi, this is Tom Limoncelli, time management trainer and LGBTQ activist.
1: You're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation.
0: When I love someone, the first thing I give them is freedom.
1: Well, I'm very happy to be here speaking with Stephanie Sellers. Stephanie is a New York based filmmaker, writer, and performer. Her award-winning debut feature film Lust, Life, Love premiered at the Berlin Independent Film Festival and was recently released by 1091 Pictures on worldwide VOD platforms. She has also written, produced, directed, and acted in many award-winning short films and her jazz album, Girl Who Loves, can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and other music platforms. She has an MFA in film from Columbia University and is finishing her MFA in creative writing at Bennington Writing Seminars. So hi, Stephanie. Hi, Robin. It is really good to talk with you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on Left yeah, Absolutely.
1: So I just had a chance to watch Lust, Life, Love, and it tells the story of a woman navigating polyamory in New York City and discovering what her true boundaries are in relationships. And you are in the lead role as Veronica.
0: That's right is very cool. Now when did
1: it come out? Just just at the end of 2021, is that right?
0: Yes, in October 2021. That's when it was released. Just still in the marketing publicity phase. So it's great to be doing this.
1: Nice. So it, it really is beautifully shot and the image imagery and soundtrack are wonderful throughout. And and it's also incredibly sexy. So you know <laughs> the um I won't say it's so for a forewarning warning. It's a it's an invitation. It's really Nice. (laughs) One of the things I want to say, I'm very curious that you start out with a very prominent shot of the Scientology building in New York. And I I found that really striking and interesting. I was wondering why you chose that.
0: I didn't choose it. It was, we just needed a shot of Veronica, the lead character, uh, walking through Times Square, like. On our way to the subway, and we just had that to grab the shot really quickly. And it was raining, and we didn't, um, you know it 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 looked great with all the buildings, you know, lit up in Times Square. And we we didn't like look at the you know the sign, all the signs, and say, "Oh, we need that sign there." So it's interesting that you noticed that because it could be interpreted. Could be interpreted as an an ironic uh nod it, that's what i was wondering i was like this is interesting because i know a lot of people
1: would think of poly or play parties and things that happen in the in the film as kind of in the weirdo zone you know people who are really unfamiliar yeah so so uh i was wondering if like okay is that sort of some kind of commentary, but I guess not, which is interesting. It could be, it
0: could be, why not? (laughs)
1: Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, So what has been the response so far? I know that, I think you've won a couple of awards with this film already.
0: Yeah, um, I did win some festival awards, and, you know, festival audiences really enjoyed it, got some great feedback, and, uh even though the festivals happened uh, during COVID and most of them were virtual, we we did have at least two in-person screenings and the feedback was great at those live screenings. Yeah. And now it's continuing to get some attention and, um, but it, it's also, you know, it's not going to please everyone and it's controversial subject matter. So it it stirs up a debate that's for sure and a variety of of opinions everyone yeah. everyone has different ideas about about um relationships so and how they're presented in film
1: exactly that's that's definitely true um yeah i definitely want to talk a little bit more about people's responses but um, first, I'd like to ask you what, what led you to tell this story? It's like, as you say, it is complicated and, and controversial in some ways, and it's neither like a simple billboard for polyamory and nor is it really a, con- a condemnation by any means, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's complex. And and the characters aren't perfect, you know? and Yeah. In yeah. Ways. And I think,
0: I think that the people who understand that really love the film and they get that and they understand the nuances. And so what, yeah, what, inspired me to make the film, was my own experience with polyamory. And um, so it is somewhat autobiographical. It's definitely inspired by some experiences that I've had and some people that I was involved with. I was aware that there weren't any films that, about polyamory that were really authentic, that seemed really authentic to me, um, you know, coming from an insider perspective. And I, I felt like there was a need for that in cinema. And also to tell the story through, um, through a female lens, um, through the female gaze rather than the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So as I, we were alluding to, I guess, some, so much of the environment of the film is very familiar to me as a poly person who's traveled in the circles, you know, I uh, recognize poly cocktails meetup in New York and the mm-hmm. uh, you know play parties and and just poly relating in general. Mm-hmm. So so much of it really feels like home to me. And I was wondering, what do you think the experience of the film might be for those who are unfamiliar with those worlds? Maybe you've heard some feedback already. It sounds like
0: yeah, um, you know, one of the goals. In making this film um, visually was to have it be, you know, seductive, and so you know, even though a lot of those scenes we shot in actual locations that have been places that hosted poly events or sex parties our goal was to seduce the audience and, you know, have it be real and authentic, but also seduce the audience. So people have responded favorably to that. I'm really interested in color and texture and lighting. And I think, you know, my, how the poly cocktails is uh, presented in the film is a little more heightened, a little more uh, romanticized perhaps than it is in uh, reality but it's it's more like how i how i envision it or how i would it's like my ideal version of what that is of the reality of that right right good very cool
1: so this is kind of a funny question but i have noticed that because of covid you know this those kinds of topics have come up in the news like people wondering when they can get back to those kinds of spaces Sure. And so as a result, the late night comics have kind of picked up on the existence of of play parties and spaces like that. And I was just wondering if you've listened to any of that or had any sort of uh, experience sort oh. of watching Colbert and hearing about something that you know about or have written about.
0: I've, I'm a big fan of Colbert and John Oliver. And I, and, um, I haven't heard them talk about this topic, though. So, uh, I'm not aware of that. Um, but you know, doing a play party on zoom is not really
1: <laughs> it's not ideal. ideal.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Uh, I actually attended one for five minutes. <laughs> uh. I, I couldn't like after a few minutes, I was like, this is not, It just, doesn't feel right. Um, uh, uh, doesn't feel good. to yeah.
1: <laughs> well, okay. But people well, parties
0: are happening again, or they were before Omicron. Right. Right. Uh,
1: we'll have to uh, inquire. <laughs> it's been uh yeah. It's a strange time for everybody. I, mm-hmm. I would say for sure.
0: Um, but if you watch the movie, you can you know experience it vicariously
1: through the true. characters.
0: <laughs> right.
1: That is true.
0: So the theme we're exploring this season on the Leftscape
1: is freedom. And I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about how freedom is expressed or, or presented in less life love.
0: Yeah. Freedom is a, is a big part of less life love and, and the protagonist Veronica and, and um, you know, that's, that's like her purpose. That's why she, lives the way she lives and why she writes the way she writes. And she is constantly in quest of freedom in love and sex. And polyamory is very, is very attractive for that reason is, you know, people often feel trapped and constricted in monogamy and that's why they're drawn to polyamory. And yeah, they're, at first, there is a lot of freedom in polyamory. I mean, yeah, the freedom—the freedom to have multiple partners and um, to be honest about it. But but then, you know, theoretically, it it sounds great. But then, once in practice, it can get really complicated because the um, the same kinds of feelings come up as that come up in, you know, monogamous relationships like jealousy and control and power and fear and, and neglect, you know, and people can even cheat in polyamory, (laughs) they can break agreements. So it's not a perfect world. So there's the promise of freedom, unlike monogamy, which usually doesn't promise freedom. But you know, once you go into it, then most people realize, wow, it's, it's, you know, freedom is more about finding balance and and um, finding uh, finding a way to work through all of the <laughs> messy feelings that come up. Right. Exactly. So,
1: in the film and in real life, I I believe the counterweight to freedom is discovering and respecting boundaries. Yes, that's really came up a lot. I think in the movie. So, do you believe that that's at the heart? Of fully expressed freedom in relationship, or what what might some other factors be that makes freedom possible?
0: There's a saying that you have to know understand the rules in order to break them. And you know, in 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 polyamory, I lost track of what I was going to say. I think I was going to use the jazz metaphor, where you know you think of jazz as really free, right? And but it's actually really quite structured you know, unless you're, unless you're playing um, free jazz, which is just all over the place and has has no structure whatsoever. Jazz is like polyamory in that there's a lot of room for improvisation. There's a lot of room for uh, play, but there is a form to it, right? So I think it's the same. It's the same thing for polyamory. There is a form there is to be conversations about boundaries and consent and you have to have agreements that are very specific and um you have to communicate when something comes up like a feeling or maybe you want to change something as opposed to monogamy and this is not to say polyamory is better than monogamy that's not what I'm saying at all but just you know showing their differences monogamy is kind of it's, it has, it almost has, it seems to have more structure, but then when you're in it, it almost has less because there, there aren't rules about these things, right? There are assumptions. There are a lot of assumptions and expectations that your partner will not sleep with other people or that, or your partner will not be attracted to other people. And then when it comes up, it's like, whoa, well, this big surprise, right? But that form, the form was never in place. The structure was never in place. So that's, you know, when it's not there, that's why people, people think that they can't talk about it. And that's why people cheat and they lie and then it gets really messy and people break up and divorce happens. And <laughs> yeah, you know the story. Yes. <laughs> 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 but that is actually a revelation to think of
1: a relationship style as a music style right and that really just struck me as really profound so thank you for that you're <laughs> like, welcome. that idea cuz jazz is I, I love I love jazz and I do I know less of about it than other musical styles but I certainly can inherently experience what you're talking about in that
0: and there's a lot of regard. jazz in the movie too which I'm sure you noticed um, yes. You know, Veronica's really into jazz and and it's part big part of the score. So, you know, there's a whole other layer of meaning to that that's wonderful. Thank you for that insight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so what are some of your favorite moments in regard to the film? Like either scenes you really love or anything in the writing or making of the film
0: that really was mm. powerful for you? well, it was it was really fun to to act in it, you know, that's after all the hard work of, of writing many, many drafts of screenplay and, and pre-production and all the logistics and getting the team together, just, you know, being able to just be in the character and be in the the space and the locations and kind of just be present with all that. And all the people who were working on the film wonderful cast and crew and you know one of my favorite scenes to act in was well the there these big this big party scene toward the end of the movie there's one in the middle and also one at the end um and doing those scenes were really fun because they really felt like parties so it it without the cameras if you ignored the cameras the the whole feeling the whole the you know the production design the the costumes the props the set um, felt really authentic I was like oh this could be a party um so that was really satisfying knowing that you know my efforts to make it feel really authentic did really succeed because even I who, you know, knew it was a film and not an actual party. And I, you know, I was the one creating it. For me to be convinced of the authenticity of it was meant that, well, it has, I probably got it right. Got that part right. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: was, it was, um, I was definitely drawn into it. It was felt very real to me. So that's, that's cool. So is there anything else that really struck you in the, uh, in the making of the film or being in it or creating it or any challenges or just tell me more. It sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course it's challenging to, to have so many roles as writer, producer, co-director and actor star of the film. It's a lot to do. And fortunately, fortunately I, uh, did not direct it by myself. I had a wonderful co-director, Ben Foyer, who I knew from film school at Columbia. We had worked together before on other short projects and a web series. So it was a great, great, great collaboration. And other favorite moments. I mean, just we had a lot of people from the poly community in the film who were like extras and the party scenes or just helping out in different ways. And yeah, and just, there were a lot of great moments, but a lot of challenges as well. Mm. A lot of challenges, you know, like shooting the shooting three, three overnight three overnights in a row. So starting uh, shooting at 10 PM and going on till um, nine or 10 AM in the morning. And like having, and these were for the party scenes. I was wondering if that was to get the nighttime vibe or something. Yeah, yeah, it was for the, it was for the night. So they, you know, for the lighting, but also um, I think... It's something, something to do with the location. But anyway, it's just, you know, it's kind of messes with your whole body and your whole system when you have to operate that way and you're eating breakfast at 10 p.m.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> right, because you sort of re-invert your days, so you're, yeah. you're getting up at night and okay. Right.
0: And then the also the sex scenes, it was really fun to shoot the sex scenes And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't afraid of them. I wasn't like, maybe a lot of actors would be, but, and we did not have an intimacy coordinator, which is very common now to have kind of like a stunt person, but for sex scenes, that's what an intimacy coordinator is. But when we shot this film, intimacy coordinators weren't really a thing yet. So you know, we just had a lot of conversations with the actor, me and the actor that I'm doing the scene with and the other, the other director and talking like step-by-step step through, you know, the beats of the scene, basically the beats of the sex scene, but then having a lot of also a lot of openness and, and of course, you know, we'd discuss consent, like, is there anything you don't want me to do? And then when those scenes were shot, they were, it, you know it was just the actors and the the director of photography and the sound person and like everyone else was off the set nice so, so you know, it, yeah
1: so you felt like you had intimacy you had space to create that kind of yeah and experience. that's
0: standard that's standard in, in on a film set for sex scenes to be it's called closed set hmm. um meaning like you don't when you're doing an intimate scene you don't need a production assistant like <laughs> standing there in the corner watching right there's no need for someone to be there they should not be there okay yeah and, and that well, well you think you were able to negotiate
1: those yeah without a problem
0: yeah That's cool. and uh, I had chemistry felt chemistry with all the actors and and we had really good you know open conversations before going into those scenes so very very cool so what do you
1: hope is the overall takeaway? I mean, theres it's got entertainment, inspiration, education in a lot of ways. I think there's mm-hmm. like an expository aspect that someone who doesn't know anything about this world can kind of get a little bit more understanding.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely all of those things. I hope people will be turned on. I hope people will, you know, think about their own questions about relationships and maybe have a new insight or maybe maybe they have no experience of polyamory and it inspires them to to explore or have a conversation with their partner or you know if any of that happens then then the film did its job nice yeah so what is Coming up for
1: Less Life Love, like where can people see it? Do you have festivals coming up? What's what's happening with that?
0: There are no more festivals. The festival run is over, but now it's uh, available to watch on multiple platforms. So you can rent it on Amazon and iTunes, Apple TV. If you if you Google Less Life Love or um, go to the less life love website. There's a link that will take you directly to a page that shows all of the platforms, all of the platforms where you can watch the film. Okay. Um, yeah. And I will definitely make yeah.
1: sure, um, we've got some of the, yeah. at least some of the main links in our show notes as well.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And, and you personally, do you have new projects or projects that are ongoing that people um, should know
0: about? Right now, I'm focusing on creative nonfiction writing, so writing essays and memoir pieces. So I'm taking a little bit of break from film, but I do have some other few other screenplays that I would like to produce at some point. and um I'm, I'm just helping a few other film friends, colleagues of mine with their projects. but uh, any any updates, you know, if you follow me on social media, or the film page, I'll probably I'm going to keep the Less Life Love social pages up. You know, for a long time. So I'll probably post news about any other projects on those pages. So on Facebook at Less Life Love Movie or Twitter at LLL the film. That sounds great. I will be sure to
1: uh, keep up with what you've got happening. I really enjoyed it, the film, and uh, we'll make
0: sure folks know where to find it. Great.
1: Thanks so much, Stephanie.
0: Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much for having me.
2: You got questions? We got
1: answers. (laughs) And today, we have a question from Sarah Scott Hitchens, who asks, if you could live the rest of your life by water, like a stream, pond, lake, or ocean, or by mountains, like foothills, foresty, wilderness-ish, wait, can you say that word? (laughs) Wilderness-ish. There you go. (laughs) Or actual big-ass mountains. (laughs) Which would you choose and why? Oh, well,
2: I would choose the mountains, big ass mountains, big ass, <laughs> big ass mountains, big ass mountains? Big, okay. big booty mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I would live in the mountains, and it is totally because of global warming.
1: <laughs> mm. just getting to higher ground,
2: huh? yep, <laughs> and I know that's probably not where she was what she was getting at, but yeah because I think anything that's beachfront property now is going to be three feet underwater in 20, 50 years. So yeah, not that I'm going to be around in 50 years, but somebody else who will inherit my land will be around. <laughs> right. Well, my
1: foolish answer that really <laughs> is the ocean, because that's my like the beach is my happy place in so many ways. Like I really love all of nature. So like I I want to be near streams and ponds and lakes and in the forest and the foothills and all of that, you know, but when it comes down to it, like when I'm my most peaceful and happy, it's, it is on the shore. Yeah. And, and so, you know, but case in point, I have often thought that, you know, it's nice to, I'm very, very grateful to be close to an ocean. I can get to the, the ocean in less than an hour you know the place I really like to go is a bit farther but it's you know but it's fine but I'm very I'm a very coastal being you know and um but I wouldn't literally want my house to be right on the right on a a shorefront like that's that does feel kind of crazy at this point
2: I did think about just now while you were while you were talking it it occurred to me that I could probably get the best of both worlds somewhere on the shore of Lake Superior. Hmm. Because yeah. it's up, I was up there once and it was kind of, it was a very small town, but it definitely felt wildernessy and woodsy and you don't see the other end of Lake Superior. It's like an ocean. It's amazing. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if, if you've been up there. Uh, I mean,
1: I have seen Great Lakes, and it is i uh, you know i I love the ocean so much, but i've I thought like if I had to not be near an ocean, like a, one of the giant lakes is
2: yeah, pretty good,
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> anyway, thank you for that question, yeah, yeah, it was nice. And next show we have an interview with Helena Brooke. Uh, Helena spoke to us in March of last year on episode 97 and she's back and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about freedom but in a in a way that I hadn't thought about and it's like freedom to Work within the legislature. You know, Hmm. um, how what you can do as an activist if you are not a lobbyist, as opposed to if you are a lobbyist, and how those things work. Um, She, uh, Helena, is an activist and a therapist, and does a lot of stuff, but but also um, really kind of knows the system and has a lot of interesting stories to tell about that. So I'm excited to share that conversation.
2: Yeah. And And what is our uh, other segment? I don't know. It's Ikigai. Guy, and I'm not sure what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be surprised then. Yes, I will surprise us all, including yeah. myself. <laughs> Great.
1: Well, I am Robin Renee, and uh, you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And if you're on Discord or if you hang out with the Church of the Subgenius, you might know me and find me there as Andrew Genius.
2: And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And if you're on Discord, I'm Voxwoman.
1: Very nice. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So please do uh, get in touch, say hi, send us your questions. and, And so until next time, be well, stay safe
2: and keep left. You've been listening to the LeftScape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LeftScape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com LeftScape. Thanks for listening.